Hi friends, welcome to Womankind. This is Kelsey Novitz and I'm here in episode 23 with my guest Jackie Stroh. Hi Jackie. Hi Kelsey. Thank you for being here today. My pleasure. I'm just going to give a little introduction about Jackie and then I will let her continue telling her story. Um, So Jackie, she's an independent trainer and consultant with previous in-house experience in human resources and training for government, banking, industry, and nonprofit. Um, She's currently affiliated with the Center for Executive Development at UB, the University at Buffalo, um, and was previously affiliated with Canisius College Women's Business Center and the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations. Um, She has an MBA from Canisius College, and she has a BA in Psychology and Speech Communications from the University at Buffalo. And so Jackie specializes in management development, team building, one-on-one coaching, and conflict prevention. And she's worked with thousands of team members to promote productive change. And her clients describe her as challenging, insightful, inspirational, and practical. Um, And so I've actually seen Jackie give one of her, would you call them seminars or? Mm -hmm. Presentation uh, workshop. One of her presentations um, at the Ebenezer United Church of Christ in West Seneca. And I must say, it was really helpful and uplifting. So we're going to hear a little bit about that from Jackie today. Um, but first, before we get into that, Jackie, tell us a little bit about your story. Well, thank you, Kelsey. It's great to be here with you. Well, I guess I sometimes think of stories based on the roles that we're currently in. I am a daughter of a 92-year-old mom. I am a sister of a sister I'm very close to who lives down in Florida, so I don't get to see her very often. I am a mom of a newly married Um, (laughs) 20-something career woman, and I love my new son-in-law. I'm hoping he's listening to this, too. (laughs) And I am at a point in my career where work is a piece of my life. It is not my whole life, and in fact, that's one of the things I recommend to everyone at every stage of their life is that work remain a piece of your life and not (laughs) your life, because if it is your life, you need to get a life. (laughs) There's, there's lots more to life, although work is very, very important. We, we do well and we serve people through the, the kind of work that we do. I am um, a volunteer. I volunteer twice a month at Jericho Road Community Health Center over on the west side. We've had people from Jericho Road on oh, our show before. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. It is a unique and fascinating place, and I love being there. Just the diversity and the care and concern of the staff is just amazing to be around. And um, I guess a little part of my story that fits with Jericho Road is I wanted to be a nurse, but I did not have the courage. Oh, wow. I did so, not know that yeah, about you. Most of my friends don't know that, but I do have lots of, of people in my life who are nurses, and therapists. I don't know what that says. But, <laughs> uh, so I get to work in this medical environment. I'm on the spiritual care team. I go in between the uh, nurse and the doctor or whatever combination of medical providers they have. And I offer prayer, which is just a wonderful opportunity. People of all faiths and half the time we have interpreters that are working with us because as you know, the Jericho Road Um, community center services a lot of the refugee population in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. So that's one of my volunteer opportunities that I absolutely love. And that's probably enough for (laughs) you. 
<laughs> well, that's amazing. I So is your role with Jericho Road through any particular project, or is it just their general medical care? Well, four years ago, they started a formal spiritual care team. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the people there are very spiritually minded. And of course, Dr. Glick, who founded Jericho Road, you know, I'm sure he sees this as much as a ministry as he does a, a medical provider in the community. Not that I should speak for him, but just knowing his heart. So spiritual care became formalized, and I was um, the first volunteer three years ago who made it through the formal gauntlet, as oh, I wow. called it. <laughs> I had to shadow three different pastors mm -hmm. who were providing uh, formal mm -hmm. uh, pastor pastoral role people mm -hmm. who were providing the spiritual care and they decided that they needed more arms and legs mm -hmm. so they needed to start recruiting so my shadowing involved uh, working with the three of them actually going in to talk with patients and pray with patients and at the end I said to the three of them I'm still willing to do this unless you tell me I'm supposed to combine your three styles because that would be absolutely impossible they were all so totally different which gave me the courage to know that I just needed to be myself right yeah. right so if someone wanted to get involved with that how could they do that they could call Jericho Road they have a full-time volunteer coordinator and they have so many wonderful volunteer opportunities there and for spiritual care, um, Ruth Strand is the current director, um, a, someone that I did not get trained under, but I do now work under her, and she's amazing. So there is so much. Um, I've, I've learned, Kelsey, in my life, and I know part of the reason for this show is to have informal dialogue, so I guess if we go on these yeah, bloody trails, it. it's okay. <laughs> I have learned that there's always so much more to a person, to a situation, um, there's just, I, I call it in my heart or when I'm trying to be amusing to myself, there's a great big fat life going on for everybody around everything. And we just need to accept that and realize it and not be so quick to come to conclusion. <laughs> that is a great piece of wisdom. Thank you. <laughs> so the bulk of what we're going to get into today is talking about life balance because that is what your workshop focuses on. Yes. Um, so give us a definition of life balance just to, to kick this off. Okay. Well, life balance is being intentional about how you spend your time, money, and energy because every day our time, money, and energy will have been spent somewhere. Mm -hmm. And to be intentional about it means that we are clarifying goals and values all the time. We don't have to become neurotic about it. We don't need to be compulsive about it, but we do need to be aware. Um, I am 67. It's okay to tell our age, correct? <laughs> of course. And I think one of, one of the uh, benefits of aging, if we are aging wisely, is to know that we must take care of ourselves. And no matter how supportive um, a spouse or a friend group no matter how much help and support or mentoring or whatever, we are still ultimately accountable. And we, um, we need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. It goes quickly. It does. And I think everyone has had the experience where, you know, a day goes by or a few days go by and you can't really pinpoint anything that you've actually done in those days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or that you are aware of. Yes. Mm -hmm. So am I... Am I 
there was let me backtrack a minute. <laughs> Many decades ago, there was a commercial on TV for Prudential Life Insurance, and the tagline was "The future is now," mm-hmm. and that always stuck with me because we can. There's so many things in life we don't control, but there are many things that we do, mm-hmm. and we can make decisions in the present that help us shape that future that we're looking mm-hmm. for. Or if we don't do it, it will be done for us, and it mm-hmm. may or may not be good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit of some of the advice that you give to people that are seeking life balance. Okay. Well, we start with goal setting. And a goal is a simple definition I like to use is a goal is a desired state. Mm -hmm. It's something that you believe that you want because you believe that it will add to your quality of life. It's something that will make life better or different. Mm -hmm. So that's my simple definition of a goal is a desired state. So there are three topics that I'd like to talk about today. Dive right in. Okay. (laughs) Well, one of them is just why do we set goals at all? And I'm sure we have some people listening to your podcast who are excellent goal setters, and I hope some of this would ring true with their experience as well. But on the off chance there's somebody out there who maybe does feel like that time, money, and energy is being worst case squandered, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, medium case spent maybe productively some of the time, but worst case, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, another decade has gone by (laughs) and I have not been as thoughtful or intentional. So why do you come across clients or people that you've spoken to that do think in, in decades where they've, they're looking back on a decade and saying, wow, what happened? Um, I think for most of the people that I've worked with in my professional life, related to this it's because they have been asked to have a coach okay or a consultant which is what I do for a living so I'm getting them at a time in life where life circumstances have prompted them to do this assessment so I may or may not always know some of those particulars like how do they really feel Mm -hmm. half the time people don't know how they feel Mm -hmm. all they know is something ain't working right (laughs) And something needs to change. But I think most of us could agree that life goes by very quickly. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to pay attention. Before we get into sure. the specifics, um, so you cater to businesses or corporations, mm-hmm. um, but also individuals? Yes. Okay. Now, occasionally I will have people just call me as an individual. Mm-hmm. Most of the time it's because they work in a, in a company, an organization, a nonprofit, a, a business. Mm-hmm. And they have been asked to get some clarity. Oh, okay. Don't you love that word? <laughs> They've been asked to get some clarity because sometimes things are not working. Or for people who are aware and very good goal setters, they're always looking for things to be better or different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of the reasons why we set goals or we try to clarify or articulate what these desired states are, here's a couple of the reasons One is that goal setting helps us separate the past, the present, and the future. I think that is extremely helpful. I am not a boater, but I have friends who are and were, and I don't know why they let me on because I could be a danger, (laughs) but they do. But I remember the analogy that was once given that the past is a rudder. It is not a compass, meaning that that will help us steer based on experience and life experience, but Our past does not set our direction. It is not a compass. Mm -hmm. It's a rudder. And I think that helps. That's a good metaphor. I like that. It is. Yeah. So separating the past, the present, and the future. So when we're setting goals by design, we're looking at the future, 
but I think it also makes us much more cognitive of the fact that cognizant of the fact that the present and the decisions that we make in the present are helping shape that future. Mm -hmm. Another reason that we set goals is to put our personal mission statement into action. I don't know how many of your listeners will remember back in the 80s when Stephen Covey had the whole country in a tizzy about putting down personal mission statements, <laughs> but there, there is some truth to the expression that talk is cheap. Mm -hmm. So when we actually have a personal mission statement, you can almost look back from the end of your life and saying, when my life on earth is over, what do I want to be remembered for and what is the legacy I'd like to leave? So if I have a personal mission, I'm probably going to achieve it more when I have intentional goals versus mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. Another huge reason for goal setting, I love this one, and I made most of these up, but through life experience and, <laughs> and having lots of friends and family who are very good at this, but feeling minimizing feelings of regret, I think that's a huge benefit to goal setting because we talked about how quickly the years and the decades go. When we have goals, there's less likelihood that we will look back and say, I would have, I should have, <laughs> I could have, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. So may we still have regrets, even if we're the best goal setter in the world? Probably, because we're human and we do things that we don't always find to be most useful. But the chances of regret are minimized when we have goals. Another one, another good reason for goal setting is that it facilitates decision making. So as an example, if you have a young, busy mom and she's working full time, you know, has to balance the family, the career, the whole thing... And one of her goals is I need to spend more time with my kids. Or even if she has teenagers and realizes that they haven't had dinner at the same table in three weeks. If one of her goals is to intentionally spend more time with her kids, when her friend calls and says, shoe sale at the mall, <laughs> she's going to say no thank you. Mm -hmm. Because her goals become a filter through which she can make decisions about opportunities that are coming her way. When we do not have goals, every input or opportunity that comes at us is kind of like a fresh rabbit trail, mm -hmm. right? And we're starting from scratch. But when we have goals, we have a filter to say yes or no more quickly and more wisely. And it keeps things from being very chaotic, I think. I think. That would be a great word, less <laughs> chaos. And there's several, but maybe one more that I would like to mention is that when we goal set, we clarify our values and a value is a definition, could be a, a core inner belief that controls my behavior. And our values do not and should not change much over time. They're who we are. They're, they, they are what defines us. However, how we put those values into motion and how we prioritize them definitely changes during seasons of life. And I think it's important that we take stock. I mean, maybe no not just on New Year's Eve when we had a <laughs> glass of wine or two, probably not the best time to be taking stock, but to be able on somewhat of a regular basis to say, what does this season, upcoming season of life look for me, mm -hmm. look like for me? And seasons of life can be a two-week season. They can be a five-year season. They, but we need to put some thought into what is this next bit of time going to look like and what is it going to necessitate in terms of change so even though my values may remain the same how I'm going to live those out may need to look different at different seasons 
if I've experienced a trauma in my life or someone I know has experienced a trauma, if I have had a job change, if I have had a significant health change, if I have had a change in marital status, if there has been something major, my values are going to remain the same, but the how they get manifested or lived out is going to be different because of life circumstances. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more that I could say about that, but I think those <laughs> reasons alone are, are good. I think those are good reasons, and I can relate to this on a, a few different levels. These are things that, you know, teachers are mandated to come up with almost every day, setting goals or setting objectives to accomplish within a time period. And, you know, the whole purpose is to keep yourself on track. And another thing that goes along with teaching is I am able to set goals for myself and kind of have these set times to think about things because I've been on a school schedule my whole career. So it's, you know, you have a reflecting time at the end of the year, you have preparation before you go back to school, and then certain kind of earmarks throughout the year where you you pause and and kind of reflect on how you've been doing. That's an Um, excellent example. So Kelsey, I think that you had asked about people who don't have a natural structure like school semesters or whatever, and maybe what they can do. And I think staying aware is just really important and not waiting until there is that chaos of life that you spoke about or things come crashing in around us to be intentional about saying, how am I doing? (laughs) And how is life working? One of the examples um, that I'd like to share is my little senior dance classes that I go to in Brant, (laughs) New York, make me very happy. I love the instructor and she plays music from all generations. And it's easy to sometimes compare ourselves with other people and say, oh, this is this is useless, this is wimpy, whatever. I have a very close friend who teaches spinning classes, and I think if she was a fly on the wall during my class, she might this is, think this is absolutely <laughs> hilarious compared to spinning, like a real exercise. But the important thing is that I know for me, you know, moving to music that I enjoy makes me very happy, besides moving my muscles with my little wimpy three-pound weights, Music makes me happy. And just being aware of what keeps us sane and balanced Mm -hmm. and happy is... I quit a dance class once because I didn't like the music. Mm -hmm. The instructor was terrific, but the music was awful. (laughs) So it's just staying aware, I think, is one of the ways that I would respond to your question about people who don't have those natural time frames or benchmarks. Mm -hmm. Another thing about goal setting is that I think it's important that all of us um, realize that a goal... Being a desired state does not have to be some huge momentous thing like climbing Mount Everest or remodeling my entire house on my two-week vacation, (laughs) but to be able to just say, what is important today? So I I gave you an example before the show, which we thought would be okay to share, and one of my primary goals at this season of my life is accepting my mom's decline. Mm And on the surface, people may or may not know that that's a goal. It's not something that's necessarily visible or achievable to someone else, but it is hugely important to me because in accepting that decline, I can be wise and loving and caring about anything that I do to help my mom Mm -hmm. and to also accept, um, I've gone to several classes for the Alzheimer's Association through them because I knew that I was in uncharted waters for me. And and learning about the disease and about taking care of myself as a caregiver has been hugely important. Mm -hmm. So 
it might be just a few words that the goal is saying accepting my mom's decline, but there is so much um, involved from an emotional standpoint, standpoint, a psychological standpoint, a spiritual standpoint, a physical care standpoint. So it might seem like a little goal. It's a big goal. <laughs> so they don't need to be huge and tangible to someone else. They need to be valuable to you and represent your values at this point in time. Absolutely. And I think you made a couple of good points in there. But like I said before, I, I know that you're in the midst of this journey. So I do wish you luck on that journey. Thank you. Um, but you've made a point that, and I talked about this actually on the last episode of the show, but we were talking about creative goals. Um, but even if you have a goal that's kind of in the, this realm, there are lots of little things that you can do on a daily basis to, you know, get to that big goal. So if your goal is acceptance, you know, you can ask yourself, well, what can I do today to get myself to that point? Um, and like checking very small things off the list every day kind of contribute to feeling feeling better and feeling like you've accomplished something. Yes, I can, I can give you a very real example. Yeah, of that. I have cousins in different states around the country. And last night we were on a text thread that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. I actually had to call my sister and say, I've got to tell you about this text oh thread. She thought I was a little crazy because she hadn't been on it. But as an example, knowing that this is a very difficult time emotionally mm -hmm. and psychologically having humor in my life mm -hmm. is one of the ways I know I will come to better acceptance in achieving there my goal. You go. because if you don't laugh number one you will cry <laughs> and number two we need to laugh I mean I felt like a million bucks when I turned in for the mm -hmm. night last night I had just laughed so hard so there's my small step on my I way like to that. acceptance like that on the surface would sound totally unrelated <laughs> But you know how it relates, so that's what's important. Yes, I needed a good laugh, and we got one. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about this, or we started on this trail before. So you've set a goal, and what's the next step? What do you do next? Okay, so one of the one of the important things to do is to know when we're getting derailed, mm -hmm. and what are the things that can derail us, because we start out flying high, and we need to be purposeful about that time, money, and energy. But we also need to stay aware of what are the things that are going to derail us. And here are some examples. I like to combine the, the shame and blame example because sometimes we carry stuff that is weighing us down. And when we can admit that it's weighing us down, it's really helpful for us to be mm -hmm. able to you know, confess that, get help around that, whatever it might be. So shame not helpful, <laughs> and blame, certainly holding other people responsible for what we're going to do next, mm -hmm. probably not healthy, which leads us into the next one, which is codependency. That's a huge thing that can get us derailed. I have checked out this non-clinical definition with my clinical type friends, and they told me it's actually a darn good definition. Oh, okay. And codependency is basing my actions on your potential mm -hmm. response. Mm-hmm. Um, very different from seeking wise counsel and then coming to the best decision for me at this point. Right. So codependency can be very unhealthy when we are enmeshed inappropriately with someone or some buddies. <laughs> unresolved grief is another one. And unresolved grief is when even you know that you're stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, grief, thank God, has no schedule mm -hmm. um, because 
we could get destroyed saying, oh my gosh, it's been two years and I haven't done this, or it's been two minutes and I haven't done that. But unresolved grief means even I know that I am stuck. I lost my dad um, two years ago, and last year I started taking a grief class because I knew that I didn't know. This sounds very awkward. Let me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> I didn't know what I didn't know about mm -hmm. grief. And I thought, if I take a class, I will at least come to grips with knowing what I don't know mm -hmm. about grief. And then I can make choices from there. But when you don't know what you don't know, right. you're not going anywhere fast. So it sounds like you learned a lot from that I did. Class. I did. And in, in fact, I happened to come into the tail end of this 12-week program. It's called Grief Share. I'll put in a little plug for it. It's offered at churches all over America. You just go online to Grief Share, enter your zip code, and it'll tell you where it's being run locally. And it's a video program, and just because of work commitments, I wasn't able to start the program until halfway in. So we are taping in January, and the program starts again in March, and I'm going to go back and get the beginning. Oh, okay. Because I, I really think that I would like to continue knowing what I don't know about grief. <laughs> Another thing that gets in the way of our goals, and this is going to be a, um, a little bit of a shocker when I do it on corporate premises, when people are paying me for this, and they think, oh, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> but one of the things that hugely derails us is following an inappropriate leader. And what is an inappropriate leader? An inappropriate leader is someone whose values we do not respect. Sometimes we're working in a place and we know something's wrong and we can't figure it out. And ultimately, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't respect the values of the people that we are allowing to lead us. So something to think about. Mm -hmm. You can't go much further than that in a corporate environment, right? No, I can't. And I know that people are sitting in the room with their boss, but the bosses have bosses too. Mm -hmm. And I try to make light of it just to say, you know, since I don't know you folks, this is nothing personal. Mm -hmm. But on the off chance you find yourself following a leader that you don't respect, you probably are going to have your own personal goals derailed. Right. Yeah. So the last topic, if you want me to just touch sure, on it ahead. quickly related to goal setting, are challenging unproductive paradigms. What is an unproductive paradigm? It's something I believe that is getting me nowhere. It's like sitting in a rocking chair and rocking, saying, I'm achieving my goals, I'm achieving my <laughs> goals, and I am going nowhere. So sometimes we believe stuff that just is getting us nowhere. Here are a couple of them. One is that roles can't be challenged. You, we were talking earlier about subversive women. <laughs> Roles absolutely can be challenged. When you take on a job, as an example, that Mary had for 20 years, mm -hmm. well, you're not Mary, nor mm -hmm. should you be Mary. Um, I don't know why Mary's not there, but you don't need to be Mary. They hired you. So roles can be challenged. And I'm not talking about a rebellious hand on your hips, everything they did was stupid, and I'm going to come in and save the world. But just fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. I love that expression, mm -hmm. fresh eyes. Another one is to say to yourself, it's okay if I do dot, 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 or it's okay if I don't dot, dot, dot. And I call this management by stomach. There are times when we are saying stuff when we know it's not true. So to tell yourself that something is okay when it is not okay is not helpful. It's unproductive to believe that something is okay when it is not okay. 
Another one might be um, an unproductive paradigm is that I'm living my work ethic and I'm putting my in quotes because sometimes we are not living our own personal work ethic. Sometimes people have parents who were slouches. Sometimes they have parents who were workaholics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just important that we, for this season of life, back to that, understand what, what um, space is work going to take in my life. What is my work ethic at this point in time? Now, again, our values are not going to change. If we value hard work and a fair day's labor for a fair day's wage, or however you guys say it in your generation, <laughs> but to just make sure that you're living your work ethic. Do you want a job where you are on call 24-7, or don't you? Do you want a job where you have people around you who don't respect your values and let you know that all the time, who never give you recognition, and on and on we can go? What is important for you, and are you living that? Here's one we can have fun with for a minute. <laughs> it is unproductive to have only exclusively affirming feedback sources. I'll explain that for a minute. <laughs> so if one of my goals is to grow and develop, it is absolutely unproductive for me to only ask my best friends at happy hour, what do you think about me? Because <laughs> they're going to say, pass the O'Doul's and the ketchup, and I think you're wonderful because we don't want to talk about that now. When we only ask people who we know either will not tell us the truth because they fear us or they don't care about us, or who will only tell us that we're wonderful because they don't really care about us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're not going to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. So if I really want feedback, I need to go to a diverse group of people mm -hmm. and be able to say, what do you think about this behavior or this project? But just don't go to only the people who <laughs> are going to tell you what you want to hear. We have time for two other questions. Sure, Sorry. definitely. So I can maybe finish up with these, Kelsey, because um, I, I would ask the listeners to picture bookends, whatever <laughs> yours might look like. I saw in Barnes & Noble the other day, high five bookends. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was very fun. <laughs> so we're going to give two examples of what might be the bookends. What are uh, the bookends that would be on each end of, of this continuum? We're going to do two continuums. The first one is about competency. The one bookend would be the unproductive paradigm that I have no competency gaps. The other bookend on the other side of the continuum would be it is unproductive for me to believe that I have insurmountable competency gaps. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. With me out there? Yeah. So on one end, I can't learn. On the other end, I don't need to learn. Mm -hmm. Both of those are not true. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they are unproductive. <laughs> I can learn, and I have a lot to learn. Probably a better productive paradigm right. to operate That under. would be a good way to grow. Yes. So the last one, let's keep the bookend picture in mind. It's about boundaries. And we could have a whole show just on boundaries. I think we could, yes. <laughs> so a boundary is a line or a limit that I set because the outcome of setting that boundary is that I feel safe, secure, and productive. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a whole half-day seminar. <laughs> but going back to those bookends, it is unproductive to believe that boundaries are not needed. And on the other end of the continuum, we could say, 
The other bookend is that boundaries can't change. So boundaries on one end, we might believe that boundaries are not needed. On the other end, we might believe that boundaries can't change. Both of those things are untrue. They are unproductive. They will not move us forward in our life. Boundaries can change and they are needed. Mm -hmm. If everyone behaved perfectly, we might not need boundaries, but since that's not true, we're going to need them in life. So Jackie, let's say you're in a seminar in a workplace or wherever, and you do go through these goal setting um, things and then some of those roadblocks. Um, what is the response of people? How do they perceive it mostly? Do you find that people really dig in and feel like they don't need to change or they don't have a lot to learn or is it the opposite where people are very open to it and feel like this really could help them when we present goal setting yes um i think when people come to a goal setting seminar if it's a voluntary mm -hmm. opportunity as an example when you came right. right that night it was just a public event it was open to lots of people i think when people seek out a topic like goal setting or time management or becoming more self-aware it's because they know that things could be better or different mm -hmm. and back to the definition of a goal mm -hmm. it's something that I say I'm going to do because I believe it will make life better or different so I think people in general are busy and instead of being busy I know one of my other goals is that I don't want to be busy I want to be fruitful Oh, I and like there, that. Thank you. And there's, <laughs> there's such a huge difference for me. Fruitful does relate to that legacy thing that we talked about earlier that, you know, if today were my last day on earth, I want to know that my life counted for somebody and something. Busy is less thoughtful. I think people use the words interchangeably, but I am very careful, and my closest mm -hmm. friends will tell you that I will kind of tap them on the arm or correct them gently when they say oh you're so busy I say no I'm not busy I'm fruitful I'm, I'm my goal <laughs> is to be fruitful and and the big difference between busy and fruitful is that fruitful is goal oriented and it is values based where busy is that expending of that time money and energy with not much thought mm -hmm. absolutely you might get lucky and accomplish something <laughs> but uh, less likely. Mm -hmm. So my other goal mm -hmm. is to be fruitful. Excellent. Do you have any other pieces of advice for this life balance that we're talking about? I think um, having healthy friends is probably something that I would like to um, offer. Oh, okay. Is that when you have people who love you and care about you, they will ask the hard questions. They will give you the atta girls that you need at the mm -hmm. time when things might be a little bit tough. But generally, healthy people are truthful people. Mm -hmm. And they're people who are also looking at life balance. They're not overly needy, although they will let their needs be known. Mm -hmm. I have learned to ask for help. I have learned to receive. Those were not natural traits of my mm -hmm. personality. So when you're with healthy people, you give and receive help, you give and receive encouragement, you give and receive correction. And my life, yes, it is ultimately my responsibility. However, I need people to do it well. Right. And <laughs> I think having good, healthy friends and maintaining those relationships is a huge key to life mm -hmm. balance. 
I think I think the other thing that I would like to offer, and we, we talked about this before the show as well, for me as a Christian woman, a big part of life balance for me is making sure that I believe that I am spending my time, money, and energy in a way that God created me to be. You know, the Bible tells us that God had a plan for every single one of our lives before we were even in our mother's womb. To me, that is absolutely amazing. I, I, I will never understand it. I cannot fathom it, but I believe it to be mm-hmm. true. And to know that there is a unique and specific plan for my life is motivating and exciting and encouraging, and I do not want to miss it. Excellent. So I think we will move into talking more um, personally about what it means to you to be a woman. Oh, <laughs> so this is the question you are dreading. So there are two levels to it. What does it mean to be a woman in 2018? And what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2018? Well, my, uh, the height of my professional career was in the 80s and 90s, where, you know, women had already made their statement that they could do anything, be anything, you know, I didn't, I, we were well past that by the time we got into the 80s and the 90s. The people before us, I guess, in those generations, a generation, had fought for the right to be noticed, the right to vote, all those things. All those basics were in place. But professionally, I came up in the 80s and 90s where women were still making their mark but were well accepted. And I know I came to a place, I think it was in the 90s, probably right after I opened my own business in mm-hmm. March of 89, where... Anytime somebody would say, we're going to have a women's group, you know, women in this, women in that, women in whatever. And some of us started questioning, why are we continuing to segregate ourselves mm-hmm. if our whole purpose is to be accepted in the mainstream and not pay attention to the fact that we're different, but that we are valuable people who have valuable things to offer regardless mm-hmm. of our gender. So at this stage in in my life, I cannot say, and maybe you have had shows around this, Kelsey, I don't ever remember being discriminated against as a woman in business. I've had other areas of my life, which I don't care to share today, where I would feel that I could talk about that. But in terms of professionally, I I did not Mm -hmm. experience that personally, and I'm very grateful that I didn't. And I've worked for men, I've worked for women. Of course, I've been on my own now for almost 30 years with my consulting practice. But when I was inside organizations, I think I was just very blessed. I had smart bosses, men and women, good bosses, men and women, a few bad ones, but mostly, <laughs> mostly good. But to be a woman for me in this day and age, I, I look at you know people in the younger generation and, and I just see how free they are in so many areas where we were not free. We were still struggling and proving ourselves. And well, we thank your generation <laughs> for that. It's, it's just great. Mm-hmm. It's just great. There's no question now about can a woman be this? Can a woman do that? Mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. old conversation. <laughs> and to just see what, what that destiny on your life is and to see you living it, it's just so exciting. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, of course, I love being a mom mm-hmm. and now being a mother-in-law and <laughs> being a woman. I don't know. I need my girlfriend. So I guess I guess some men do have friend girls if they're married or girlfriends if they're just socializing. But I really need my girlfriends and I'm happy to have them. I, I don't have a lot of stereotypes that, you know, men do or don't do this, men do or don't do that, but I think women definitely have a hunger to share at a heart level, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to be a woman because mm-hmm. of that. And that's something I think almost every single guest has said on the show, and that I said as well, and I completely agree with, that 
the relationships between female friends is something that is just unmatched from what I've seen in communities of men. Yes, the guy world, they don't, they don't have the same level and depth, I don't mm -hmm. think, from my observation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's exceptions to that rule, just like there are women who are shallow and superficial, and it's their loss. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Now I'm thinking back to what you were saying about how when you were in the business world and there were like women in business meetings or conversations that um, it kind of felt that that was maybe maybe separating yourselves mm -hmm. from what was going on. Um, but I think maybe we have swung back to a place where there, not that there needs to be a separation, women need to be in the mainstream, but having those conversations, but maybe having those conversations where men are attending the meeting so they can understand better mm -hmm. about women's roles in the workplace yeah. and in the world in some cases. Well, there are so many more visible compliance-related issues that your generation deals with. I mm -hmm. mean, you've got a lot of serious stuff to right. sometimes have Definitely. to talk about, but in terms of the woman's right or eligibility to be at the table, right. that's long decided. Right, that's yeah. The no 80s, longer. I remember I was very active in Center for Women in Management oh, at okay. Newville, and I was a part of many women's organizations, and I think it was in the 90s sometime, mm -hmm. and of course by then I was in my own business and, you know, needed to have a very neutral approach, you know, mm -hmm. to gender issues, dealing with all kinds of companies and clients, but to be able to say, is there a risk of further segregating ourselves when I'm doing X or Y? Just to be, again, we, it seems one of our themes today has just been awareness. Right. And <laughs> being aware of what you were doing, mm -hmm. for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And as you said, talking about the continuum, I think everyone has more to learn on in lots of areas. I sure do. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, so we are going to move into stories of subversion. So I will tell my story, and then we'll have Jackie tell her story as well. Um, and so the person that I've chosen this week is Indra Nui, and she is the chairperson and CEO of PepsiCo, Pepsi, uh, which is the second largest food service company in the world, um, which I did not know. Nestle is the number one food service company in the world. Um, and so... Indra Nui, she's from Madras, Tamil Nadu, India, and she has three bachelor's degrees. She has one in physics and mathematics and chemistry, um, and that was from Madras Christian College of the University of Madras, and then she has an MBA from the Indian Institute of Management in Calcutta. And she started her career in India for Johnson & Johnson, and then she came to the United States to attend the Yale School of Management. Um, and so she obtained a degree from there and then started her career in the United States. So she's actually been with Pepsi since 1994 um, in various roles. And she became CFO of Pepsi in 2001 and then moved into the position of CEO in 2006. Um, so she's had that role for quite a while. Um, so in reading up about her, she has done quite a bit to kind of improve Pepsi's um, public eye and hopefully what they're doing internally. So they have something called um, Performance with a Purpose. It's an initiative um, through which she has promoted a message of environmental sustainability. So they're really having that more on their radar as a large corporation. Um, they've invested $100 million in the education of women and girls um, in the hopes of getting more women in these roles. 
they've cut sugar in their products and they have made recycling a priority in their company. Um, and she also was the one that took out aspartame from Diet Pepsi. Yay. So, <laughs> so she has a lot on her plate there as the CEO. Um, and so under her directive, I didn't know any of this, you know, there, Pepsi has 20, I think 22 other, um, you know, things under their umbrella, brand names under their umbrella. And so under her directive, Pepsi has morphed into a company that has three categories. So um, I just thought this was interesting. One is fun for you. So that's like Pepsi and like potato chips. Um, the other is better for you where, you know, you have like diet Pepsi and things that are, you know, fewer calories. Um, and then things that are good for you. So they also own like Quaker Oats. So they have like these three different categories that she came up with. Is or that I don't a know form she... of guilt management. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's got. It's just. I think it's a better branding, maybe, of what it was in the past. It's honest. <laughs> True. Um, and so, you know, for the past 10 years, she's made the Forbes list of the world's most 100, one, the world's 100 most powerful women. She spent five years at number one in Fortune's most powerful women in business. And there, there were just like so many lists that she was on as, as a woman um, in business. And she was even on a powerful mom list, one of the world's most powerful moms, um, because she has two daughters, one of whom attends Yale like she did. Um, so I just thought that was someone to point out as, you know, a CEO of a company, um, a company that, you know, is worldwide and well-known and the, the second largest in the food industry. There's a woman in charge of it. So that's a great thing. <laughs> and I like Diet Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone can escape any of those products. So it's here to stay. Um, all right. So Jackie, what was your story of subversion that you have? Well, I can think of um, a couple of things that were probably unusual or out of the mainstream for my, my life. One of them is I had my daughter at 41, mm -hmm. and I was not considered a high-risk pregnancy, which was certainly good news. So I know That's I have, great. yeah, <laughs> I certainly know women in their, in their 30s and some in their 40s who are still considering childbearing. And I always say, hey, <laughs> I'm at least one person who can tell you a happy story. Um, I think... When you get to the point in your life, and I hope this comes across the right way, there's there's a certain need to not care what people think about mm -hmm. you. And that is not to say that you're uncaring or uncouth or, or rude or obnoxious or off-putting, but just to simply say, there is only one me. I cannot be you. I still don't know all the parts of me that I need and want to be, but there's a certain satisfaction I think is the word that I would want to use or even a comfort mm -hmm. in knowing um, that you care less mm -hmm. yeah about what other people think and again that is not a license to be rude or crude it just gives you a freedom mm -hmm. to be able to be who you are and I think you know just on on the surface one was starting my own business in in March of 89 so I'm coming up on 30 years which I can't congratulations thank that's you. amazing thank you and I never looked back I was working in a position at a bank and I remember telling my boss um, that I was going to be leaving and starting my own company and he he was almost speechless <laughs> I guess he thought I had, would never think about doing something like that because I did truly love my job mm -hmm. I was working in corporate employee relations at the time and I really did love my job 
But Kelsey, I can't tell you all the variables that went into it, but I can say that I just knew it was my time. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually was on assignment for the company that I worked for for six weeks in another city. So I had a lot of time. And I bought some books on consulting and ate a lot of Chinese and, <laughs> you know, had some quiet time, watched some mindless television, did some praying. And one day I said, you know, I'm not going back after this six-week assignment. Mm -hmm. I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do. I had spent a lot of um, my free time or discretionary time doing pro bono workshops mm -hmm for nonprofits, so I knew that training was an area of human resources that I really wanted to start specializing mm -hmm. in. And I thought, you know, at the time I had no debt, no kids, so mm -hmm. I can't tell you it was any great sacrifice to take this risk, but I just knew. And I remember getting a bunch of my girlfriends together <laughs> and I put out a big promotional piece and, you know, they say go big or go home. I hired an expensive um, terrific advertising agency and they put a terrific brochure together and I kind of came out of the box at the high end and I'll never be sorry that I did that nice and um, the phone started ringing and rest is history oh that's so and awesome I, I never looked back but what might have been mini subversive about that is that it wasn't being done mm -hmm. um, two years after I actually started a consultant uh, consultants network in western New York and I think there were three women doing what I was doing and of course that was 30 years ago, so things have hugely changed on the human resource training, organizational development, consulting field in those 30 years. But way back when, there were just a handful of us and we were charting new territory, but we were supportive, we helped each other, we gave each other clients. Oh, I love to hear that. Yes, you learn quickly what your areas of specialty are. And again, the more comfortable you become in your own skin, you know when somebody asks you to do X, and you're really better at why you give mm -hmm. X away to the person who does X really well because at least in my business you're totally dependent on referrals mm -hmm. so you need to do what you do well so I still like what I do and honestly Kelsey I feel like I'm doing my best work I think because I care a little less wow. about what people think and not that I don't do a good job. I work just as hard to do a very good job, but I'm just more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I am living my destiny. I feel like I am being who I am called to be, and there really isn't anywhere else I should or could mm -hmm. be. Well, that's amazing to be so comfortable in your own skin and where you are and your place in life and to know that you've been your own boss for the last 30 years. That's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So for anyone who is maybe just starting out with their own business or, you know, taking a leap of faith as you did, um, what kind of advice do you have for someone in that position? Well, the old book timeline used to be give it a minimum of two years. And I think that's probably still a good guideline on some level. I think I would also add know your motivations. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it because you really want to do it? Mm -hmm. Are you doing it because you feel you have something unique to offer? That would mm -hmm. be a good motive, in my opinion. Why are you doing this? It's mm -hmm. important to know. Because those, those motivations are what's going to keep you going when the phone doesn't ring or things right. <laughs> don't go well. But give it time. Know your gifts. Don't try to be anyone else. And figure out how you are going to differentiate yourself from someone else. 
because when people hire you, they hire you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have a unique combination of you know personality traits and qualities and characteristics, and it's important to want to put those all into play and and differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. All right, that is great advice. All right, so Jackie, we've reached the end of the episode. Is there anything that we didn't touch on in terms of life balance or maintaining quality friendships or anything about your business that you wanted to add? Um, I guess I would just encourage everyone to take some regular time out, take a deep breath. Uh, Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager several decades ago, he would call it the helicopter view. So often, take your helicopter view of your life, own it. Mm -hmm. Look at what's going well, what could be different. And um, again, I would like to just add with a recommendation that you pray that through and ask God what did he uniquely call and gift you to do. Thank you so much for being here, Jackie. This has been great. Thank you, Kelsey. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> if you are looking to get in touch with Womankind, um, you can find us at www.womankindpodcast.com. You can email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Dot com, or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Womankind Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.